the final week of our message series, The Father's Heart. We're trying to learn about God's plan for family by examining how our Heavenly Father parents us, His sons and His daughters. And as we learn from Him, we're going to learn how to be better parents to our own kids, regardless of their ages, and we're going to learn more about how our Heavenly Father parents us in love with perfect motivation. The principles we're going to talk about, we say this every week, are not the things that my family is hitting out of the park. These are the things my family is shooting for because we see them in the Word of God. This is what we're hoping for. This is what we're praying into. This is what we're striving for, not what we're getting perfect, which you will know if you've met my children. And if you're a parent, you can have this one great confidence that God is with you. God is for you. He loves your children. He is praying for your children. He is rooting for you. He's not in heaven saying, I can't wait to see how they screw this up. He is in heaven releasing the Holy Spirit to empower you in your parenting and give you discernment for every impossible and challenging situation that you're going to face. God is on your side, and so we can begin with that confidence. Last week, we looked at the subject of honor, and we talked about how vital it is for families to create a culture of honor in their home, because if a child is not taught how to rightly honor their heavenly father, how will they know how to rightly honor their heavenly father? And this week, we're going to look at the controversial issue of discipline. That's the reaction I expected, because nobody gets excited when you say discipline. Nobody ever accuses a church that just taught on discipline of just teaching what people want to hear. It's never an accusation that's lofted. And if you ever want to step into a minefield that will explode in your face, just wait onto the internet, wait onto some chat rooms and some forums where they discuss parenting and family and bring up the issue of disciplining your children. There's only two views, mine or you're under the inspiration of Satan. Those are the only two options when it comes to how you discipline your children. Everyone on the internet seems to believe that. You either do it like me or you're the worst parent in the world. So the craziest thing you could ever do as a parent would be to go on Facebook and say, anybody have any advice on how to discipline your kids? Don't do that. You'll get like 78,000 replies from people you didn't even know you were friends with. For the believer, we begin at the same place we begin when forming our views on anything, with the Word of God. And this morning, when we use the word discipline, we're going to be using it to refer to the concept of correction. So write this down as your first fill-in. When the Bible speaks of discipline, it's speaking of correction. When it speaks of discipline, it is speaking of correction. And that's important to understand because the purpose of discipline is course correction. It's not punishment. The purpose of punishment is generally to give justice to the victim or the victims or the victim's loved ones or to help a person pay a debt owed to society. The purpose of discipline, especially as it pertains to parenting, is course correction. As the captain of a ship is responsible to keep the ship on course by making corrections if the ship gets off course, parents are responsible to correct their children when they get off course. Because just like any ship, there is a destination that we desire our children to reach. As we've been discussing throughout this whole series, we have a role model when it comes to parenting. And that role model doesn't write a blog or comment on your Facebook posts. That role model wrote the Bible, and our role model is the Lord. Throughout our entire lives, he parents us. And in fact, the reason we discipline our children, the reason we know discipline is a good thing, is because the Lord disciplines all of us as needed to encourage us to live in righteousness, to 
course correct us and keep us on the path toward life. In Proverbs 3.11, this is on your outline, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, gives us this advice. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. And then underline this, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Here's what the wisest man who ever lived has just told us. You can mark this on your outlines. Correction is part of sincere love. Correction is part of sincere love. In those verses, we just heard a statement of fact. If the Lord loves you, he will correct you at some point. Many points, in fact, because we need it. And I love that it uses the word delights because if a father delights in his son, if his son is his joy, if he loves him, he will correct him when he needs to be corrected. In the book of Revelation, when Jesus is writing to the last church, the church in Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the church he doesn't really have anything good to say about, even to them, the Lord says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That is a foreign concept in our society right now. The only concept in our society is if you're a loving person, you will approve and accept everything. In Deuteronomy 8.5, the Lord says, You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. So God brings his correction into our lives because we are his children. And I've shared this before. When I go to the playground, I don't discipline anybody else's kids. I want to, but I don't. I don't discipline anybody else's kids for one very simple reason. Not just that it's against the law, but they're not my kids. They're not my kids. So write this down. The Lord only disciplines his children. He only disciplines his children. As an aside, this is the answer to the question, why do the wicked prosper? They're not his kids. So when you see someone in wickedness seemingly accumulating wealth and happiness, just remember, they're not his kids, so he's not disciplining them. Better to be the child of the Lord under the discipline of God than not a child of the Lord prospering in wickedness. Sometimes when a person walks away from the Lord, when they backslide, they leave the church and they pursue a lifestyle of sin instead where left with some very, very difficult questions. And perhaps most prominently, we begin to wonder, are they really saved? How can a believer do this? We know that believers backslide, but like, we all wrestle with that question of are they really saved? My pastor had the wisest insight on this I've ever heard. He would always say, well, let's step back, let them roll with it, and let's observe. If the Lord brings discipline into their life, they're his kid. If he doesn't, they're not his kid. It's really simple. And he would say, if they walk away from the Lord, they have no conviction, no guilt, and they're just happy and they keep going, they're not God's kid. But if they walk away from the Lord and God's discipline comes in, their work, their occupation begins to crumble, their relationships begin to fall apart, they're miserable. He said, even if they're in denial, you're able to look at that and say, man, the Lord's disciplining them. Praise God for that because it's the evidence that they're still his kid. Has a wise insight. The writer of Hebrews, most likely Paul, talks about this idea in greater detail in Hebrews 12. It's the big text I put on your outline. So this is written to 
the reader who's going through a heavy time of discipline under the Lord. They're really being disciplined by the Lord and it's difficult. The writer begins by reminding us to remember Jesus. He says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. He's saying, you're suffering discipline under the hand of God. Remember that Jesus suffered discipline despite being an innocent man at the hands of sinners. He goes on and says, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, and then underline the rest of this quote, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. And then underline this, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? In other words, your being disciplined by the Lord is the evidence of your sonship, your daughtership, the fact that you are God's child, it's the evidence. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, so you're a child of God, he's going to chasten you at various times. However, if you're never chastened by him, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. But, and then underline these four words, he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So he's saying a human father generally disciplines his sons in view of what's best to him, to make them the kind of kids he wants them to be. Sometimes fathers discipline their sons just to make them more tolerable and easier to live with. He's saying so even earthly fathers sometimes do what's best for them. That's their motivation in disciplining their kids. But he says every time the Lord disciplines us, it's for our profit. It's never for his benefit. He's never saying, I just can't stand you, so I need you to change. He's saying this is for your good. That's the only motivation that he ever has. He disciplines us perfectly. His discipline's always for the best and for our good. Now, here's a key truth to understand about discipline. Whether you're receiving it or administering it, he goes on and says, underline this now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> Nevertheless, Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Paraphrase, discipline is never fun in the moment. It's not enjoyable when it's happening. In fact, it's painful, but we don't discipline for that moment. We discipline for the moments that come much later, the future good results that come from godly discipline being administered. When it comes to us receiving discipline from the Lord, this is the challenge. This is where instead of recognizing the Lord's discipline and repenting, we can easily become prideful and hardened toward the Lord as we become bitter over his correction. Have you noticed that when things get difficult in our lives, our first assumption is always that we're the righteous victim? Always. I don't know about you, but my first thought in difficult times is never, maybe the Lord is disciplining me. Maybe I should ask him if there's anything he wants me to change or if there's anything he's asked me to change that I haven't. We would be wise to examine ourselves regularly and just ask the Lord, God, is there anything that I'm facing right now that is the result of your discipline? 
Are you trying to speak to me through any area of difficulty in my life right now? I mean, I know that like me, you're perfect and exactly like Jesus, so there's really no point in doing this, but maybe, maybe we should still be humble enough to ask the Lord if there's something he's trying to show us in a difficult situation. You know the perfect place to do that? Every Sunday at the table of communion. The Bible says a man ought to examine himself before he takes the elements. That's the moment to stop and before you partake in communion, just ask the Lord, God, is there anything that you're trying to say to me that I'm not hearing? Are you trying to speak through a circumstance in my life? Write this down. The true child of God welcomes his correction. The true child of God welcomes his correction because they understand the source is a loving heavenly father. Conversely, when it comes to administering discipline, being the one who disciplines another, how many times do parents fail because of what Hebrews tell us? There is no joy in the moment, only seemingly pain. And many, many times parents can't handle seeing their child go through the pain of being disciplined. So they just let things slide. What's the problem with that? You never get to the good stuff that results from the godly discipline. You never get to the harvest of righteousness. And I need to share something that might hopefully change the way some of us view this issue because if you struggle with disciplining your children, if you let things go when you know you shouldn't because you don't want to deal with the pain of the moment of discipline, just to be blunt, you're not being loving. You're being selfish because you're placing a higher value on your happiness or their happiness than their holiness. You're choosing happiness over holiness and that's selfish. You're not doing what's best for them. You're doing what's best for you. And the Lord calls us as parents to remember the end game. What is the end game? Becoming like Jesus. That's the end game for all of us, the Bible tells us, who belong to Jesus. So make a note of this. Holiness must be elevated above happiness. Holiness must be elevated above happiness. And can I just tell you, I understand how challenging this is. I'm no different. I understand how much better and easier happiness can seem in the moment. I, I really get that. But the reason God put parents in charge of the kids and not kids in charge of themselves is because God expects us to be capable of being strong enough to do what's best for our children, not what's easiest for us and our children because what's easiest is almost never what is best. As an aside on this issue, never forget that when we experience these difficult moments in parenting, we gain insight into what our Heavenly Father goes through in parenting us. Can you fathom the anguish that our Heavenly Father must feel when you and I just refuse to respond to His discipline and continue to sin? continue in a season of rebellion? Can you imagine the, the anguish the Lord feels when he has to turn up the heat, he has to turn up the pressure, he has to turn up the pain in order to get through to us? Do we believe that we're better parents than the Lord, that that breaks our heart when we have to do that for our kids, but it doesn't break his heart when he has to do that for us? Do we think that God gets some sort of sick satisfaction out of bringing discipline into our lives? Because he doesn't. He doesn't. We say this regularly. The Lord loves you enough to let the bottom fall out of your life 
if that's what it takes to get you to him. That's how much he loves you because he's a good father. He's the good father and he always does what's right for us even when it's not easy. And if we ever doubt that, we need only cast our gaze one more time upon the cross of Christ where he did not do what was easy, but he did what was best for the children of the father. I'm so grateful for his goodness and I'm so grateful that Jesus did what was best for us, not what was easiest for him. Write this down. Parents are called to do what is best for their children, not what is easiest for their children. Called to do what is best. Listen to what the word of God says in Proverbs 19. Chasten your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. There's this brief window of time that we have as parents where we can strongly correct the course of our children's lives. Solomon says, when you don't take advantage of that window of time and discipline your children in a godly way, it's like you're willing them toward destruction. That's heavy verbiage. That's a heavy idea, and it's meant to feel heavy. He's saying that's what it's like to just choose what is easiest over what is right. It's like you're willing them toward destruction. In Proverbs 13, Solomon says, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And we're not going to get sidetracked on the physical or non-physical discipline issue today. That's not the point of why I'm sharing that. But you might think that by not disciplining your children, you're being loving. The Lord says, it's one of the most hateful things you can do to your children. That's the verbiage the Bible uses. Discipline for the purpose of correction is an action of love. A lack of discipline for the purpose of correction is an action of hate. That's how the Bible views this issue of corrective discipline. So how do you discipline well as a parent if you're bought in and you've said, man, I believe in that. I recognize the need for that. How do I do that well? Can't just flick a switch. So I want to share some overarching principles that might be helpful. I'm not going to give you a system or, or tell you what to do because every child is different. They really are. And we all think our kids are exceptional. I always love to say, just go ahead and raise your hand if you got an average kid. Let me just no? Everyone's a genius. That's right. All our kids are geniuses. They're all going to be presidents and prime ministers and rocket scientists one day. I think the discussion of how to discipline your children well needs to start with the condition of your heart as a parent in the moment of discipline. And I share this from the experience of failing repeatedly in this area. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says the Lord loves to discipline his children. That's not in the Bible. What the Bible says is that the Lord disciplines his children because he loves them. And we're told that the one receiving the discipline from the Lord, us, should love the discipline of the Lord. But there's nowhere in the Bible where it says the Lord loves to discipline his children. If you as a parent ever find yourself enjoying disciplining your children, then something is probably horribly wrong. If you're getting any joy or satisfaction out of it in the moment, you're probably disciplining out of anger or wrath or vengeance or frustration, and that's not okay. Write this down. Parents must discipline their children out of a godly desire for the child's good, not out of wrath, anger, or vengeance. And if you don't have kids and you're thinking, I would never have wrath or anger or vengeance toward my children, just give it time. We'll talk in a few years, okay? If you love your kids, 
then you know how painful it is when you realize after the moment that you just disciplined your kids out of anger and not out of love. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. It's a horrible feeling. So practically, this means that dad or mom may need to sometimes take some time before administering discipline. It is wise when we're worked up emotionally. And by the way, this is a life principle, not just a parenting principle. It is wise when we're worked up emotionally to say, I need to calm down and think about this for a few minutes. Then we'll discuss the situation. You will never regret taking time to clear your head, think through what's actually best for your child, and let the Holy Spirit counsel you a little bit as your emotions calm down. You will never come back, look back, and say, no, you know what, I should have just disciplined them right away. I shouldn't have taken that time to collect myself. Psalm 4.4 says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't think that just because your child has sinned, you are not capable of also sinning in the way that you deal with their sin. You can still sin just as much as they have. We're never in greater danger of sinning than when our emotions are in full control of us. That's a dangerous place to be. So before you discipline your child, make sure your heart is in the right place. Make sure your emotions are in control and make sure you have their good in mind. In our home, sometimes what our kids hear is, go sit on your bed, I'll come talk to you when I'm ready. How long? Don't ask, this is for your good. And that's it, take that time, take that time. Sometimes, Charlene and I, we grab each other and we're like, okay, I need a consult right here. We gotta talk this through, figure this out. Like, like talk me back from the cliff, because I'm about to like detonate a nuclear bomb right now. And uh, usually that's gonna be the wife helping the husband calm down, because women are just a little more calm and understanding. Um, for men, it's like war, and we're going to win. And our wife has to say, well, just remember they're our child, and you love them, and we gave birth, and it's, you know, all right, 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 okay, okay. <laughs> so write this down. Secondly, godly discipline is consistent discipline, consistent discipline. The Bible tells us that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. You and I don't have to live in fear that the Lord is going to consider a sin serious one day and eh, not that big of a deal the next day. We don't have to live in fear that he's going to be gracious one day and harshly judgmental the next. We can rest in the assurance that when we wake up tomorrow, God will be the same that he is today. He's more constant than anything or any force that exists in our universe. He's our firm foundation and our children need the same security from us. They need us to be gracious on Thursday when the Sunday Bible study is worn off. They need to not have to worry, am I getting the mom who just read Jesus Calling this morning or the mom who's reached the end of her rope? They need to know, am I getting... The dad who just had a conversation with some Christian brothers and is going to strangely cry as he looks at me with love? Or am I getting the dad that is exhausted from work and is the wrathful, vengeful God of our home? They need the security of knowing what their parents are going to be like. What are mom and dad going to be like? And this is why, as we talked about in our first message, it's so important for mom and dad to be on the same page. They need to know the same amount of correction is coming from dad and mom. You want to know how you know if you don't have this? If your kids confess to the same parent all the time. 
that's the more gracious parent. And there's a difference there, and they're expecting a better result from that one parent. It's usually mom. It's usually mom. So talk with your spouse. Talk with your child's mom or dad. Get on the same page so that your kids can have the security and safety of consistent correction, not living in fear of an emotional lottery that drives how they're parented. Thirdly, write this down. Consequences instruct better than punishments. Consequences instruct better than punishments. Let me explain what I mean by that. You might think those terms are semantic, but it's really two very different ways of approaching the same thing. A punishment is just you do this and you get this. A consequence is the direct result of a decision. So a child who is punished knows I played video games too long. When I do that, I don't get to play video games for three days. That's all they know, cause and effect. The child who has received a consequence knows some of what I'm about to say. Obviously, they won't articulate it like this. But the goal is that they would know I played video games too long, which means I disobeyed my parents and I disrespected my parents. And they don't want me to play video games because it can, for too long because it can easily become an addiction. I can become too emotionally attached to something that's ultimately meaningless. It's also unproductive and antisocial, so mom and dad don't want it to become central to my life. Again, my three-year-old would not articulate it that way. But do they understand anything close to that? Or do they think they're just being punished? If they think they're just being punished, the child will simply long for an environment where the rules are different. Like living on campus at a college. If the child understands the reasons that create a consequence, they're far more likely to change on a heart level. If they understand that you're parenting for their good, if they understand this is a consequence for your good, let me explain to you why it's for your good. It's going to mean a lot more. If you're an authoritarian parent, then you dish out punishments. The child's behavior is the most important thing. It's because I said so, that's why, and I'm the dad. And the reason your kids behave is ultimately because you're there. So what's going to happen when you're no longer there? The reason for their good behavior has now been removed. And so now they're gonna do what they really wanted to do all along. This is why so many Christian kids just lose their minds when they begin to live on campus at a college. Because even though the parents didn't realize it, it was authoritarian parenting. And the reason for their behavior was not because they had a heart view on issues. They didn't have a world view on issues. It was just punishments. It was an authoritarian figure. And when you remove that, now the kids go nuts. They have no reason to keep behaving in a godly way. On the flip side of that, you have permissive parenting, which is where the happiness of the child is the most important thing. And that child is going to grow up believing that whatever makes them happy in the moment is the right thing to do. And the justification for anything they want to do is because it makes me happy. So I get into a relationship because it makes me happy. I get out of a relationship because it no longer makes me happy. I apply for a job because I think it will make me happy. I quit my job because it no longer makes me happy. And that child, ironically, believing that the most important thing is to do what makes them happy in the moment, will be set on the most certain path toward misery that a parent could craft for their child. We all know that. We all know that everything worth having, everything good in life, is not always happy. It's work, it's commitment, and that bears a fruit much greater than momentary happiness. It's 
bears the deepest satisfaction there is. What we want to do is try and shape our child's heart by helping them understand that their actions produce consequences. It's the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. We want our children to get to the place where they actually say one day, I want to sow good things into my life. I'm making this decision now because I want to reap good things later. And I'm not going to do that because I don't want to reap the harvest that that action is going to produce later on. Children need parents to help them learn this and do this because children have the attention span of a goldfish. There is no child who is naturally into delayed gratification. No child. Our daughter, man, if she has money, it burns a hole in her pocket. I'm sure she'll outgrow it, you know, but uh, <laughs> burns a hole in her pocket. Has to go spend it. Has to go spend it. Instant gratification. They would spend every dollar they have on candy bars and Slurpees if we would let them. We have to tell them why. No, because it's a stupid decision. You could buy much better things with your money. And you can see them thinking like, when was the last time you had a Slurpee? It's the greatest thing you could spend your money on in the world. They have a slightly smaller world, granted. Delayed gratification is one of the most important kingdom principles, isn't it? I mean, our entire lives, biblically, to a degree, are supposed to be about delayed gratification. God is good and life with the Lord is good, but we're supposed to be living in a way that is heavenly minded, living as citizens of heaven. This is a kingdom principle and we've got to help our kids understand sowing and reaping in this life and into the next. We want to teach our children by correcting them with consequences, not with punishments. Punishment says you were bad, so you get this consequences you sowed this so you reap this and you don't want to do that in your life just as we never have to doubt that God's discipline is for our good our children shouldn't have to doubt that the discipline they receive from us is for their good God's discipline is always purposeful it's always for our good now I'm about to share one of the most exhausting things that a good parent has to do this drains me like nothing else but it's so important Write this down. Give your child the why when you instruct them. Give your child the why when you instruct them. When your child is under the age of three, it is totally fine to tell them, do that because dad said so, because mom said so. I'm the dad. I'm the mom. You're establishing that. That's fine. Your child doesn't even have the mental processing skills when they're under three to really grasp it. When they say why, they're just trying to create trouble when they're under the age of three. Why? This annoys mom or dad. This is amusing. Why? 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 They're just enjoying your face changing colors as they say it repeatedly. Once they get to three, they can begin to process some of these things. They need to know the why because as exhausting as it is to give it, every why that you give your child shapes their worldview. Every why you give your child shapes their worldview. Why do we have to go and visit this family? They're boring. <laughs> We're going to visit them because one of them is very sick and they're having a tough time and they are members of our church, members of the family of God, and we love them. And part of family is that you love people even when you're different from them, even when you don't get along with them. That's why we're going to go do this. Your worldview is shaped. Why can't I eat as many french fries as I want to? Well, 
because it's going to have a really negative effect on your health, and you're not going to be able to fulfill the potential God has put in you if you get tired climbing one flight of stairs. It's a better explanation than why can't I have French fries? They're expensive. You didn't really shape their worldview. All you made them think is like, we're poor. So <laughs> shape their worldview. Every why you give shapes their worldview. And I know it is so tiring. And all you want to say is like, because I said so. And I just want you to freaking go away right now and do something else. That's going to shape their worldview as well. So you just take a deep breath and share with them the reasons. When your child is only kind because you're around, your child is not a kind person. They simply understand there's a greater authority around them at that moment. You remove the authority, their reason for being kind disappears. When your child is kind because you've told them, we're kind because Jesus has been kind to us. When you tell them, we're kind because every person matters to Jesus more than anything else in the universe. When you tell your kid, we're kind because even the jerks in this world are made in the image of God, and he died for them. Man, those reasons will still be true when mom and dad are not around one day because you've shaped the way they see and view other people. It's got nothing to do with you. It's about how they see other people. So when we correct our children, when we discipline our children, it's vital they understand the why. Even though, as the word says, they might not like it in the moment, they need to understand why they're even being corrected, and they need to understand why it's for their good. If your child is hitting in the playground, don't just say you can't hit. Explain to them if you do that, if you let your anger control you, you're going to destroy every good relationship the Lord is going to put in your life. You're not going to be able to have good friends. You're not going to have a good marriage. You might never have one just because of your anger. Explain that to them. Even when they're three or when they're four, it, it'll have an impact on them. And keep sharing that with them. That's so different to your kid thinking, oh, because hitting is bad and mom and dad don't want me to be bad. There's a world of difference between those two views. Lastly, I want to share a personal story with you that involves one of our kids and the issue of grace. Because you can hear all this stuff. You can hear the importance of being consistent in discipline. You can hear the importance of, of not doing what is easiest. And you can become zealous for correcting your kids. That's a good thing to be zealous over. But you can get so locked into that, you can forget that it's more important to be consistent with grace than with anything else. And I want to begin by sharing the best definition of grace that I've ever heard. Write this down. It's this. Couldn't find out who said it. Grace is for falling, not jumping. Grace is for falling, not jumping. So when you see a person who's willingly jumping off a cliff and you do everything you can to stop them, that's grace. Grace is not going, well, you know, who am I to tell someone not to jump off a cliff? That's really their personal walk. They're on a hike. They didn't invite me on the hike, so who am I to tell them that? Or with your kids, it's not gracious to say, well, that's just them being who they are. I don't want to interfere with that. Grace is not for that. Grace is not an excuse to not correct. But I love this saying because it explains that we can't just do whatever we want and then use the term grace, like the great coverall, right? Hey, grace, you're not giving me enough grace. Or, you know, what they're doing is fine because grace 
The theologian in me loves that part of that phrase, but what's easy to miss is the first part, that grace is for falling. Grace is for falling. And our second youngest son, Caleb, he has an anger issue. He's small for his age, he's a little guy. He's got two older brothers and a bunch of neighborhood friends who come over and play all the time. When he plays in the group, he's usually one of the smallest kids, and so he gets picked on quite a bit, and he doesn't like it. And I think he found an unfortunate role model in the Incredible Hulk when he began watching the Avengers cartoons because he'll go Hulk whenever he's angry, just... And this started carrying out into any time he got frustrated, you know? I asked for orange juice! That is obviously not acceptable behavior. So we'd talk with him and give him consequences, like no video games for three days, and... We'd always usually give the first instruction that he go sit on his bed so that he can calm down, you know, just sit there and... And we began to notice that he's very honest about how he was doing while he was on the bed. We'd stick our head around like 10 minutes later and be like, you ready to talk, man? He'd be like, no, still angry. <laughs> he's, he's five, but sometimes 15 minutes later, he's like, still not ready, still not ready. The fire is still burning. And we thought, okay, at least he has an awareness of when he's angry, but... Uh, Then recently it happened again, and he went to his bed again, and Charlene went and talked with him, and she had the most profound conversation with this little five-year-old, and in his own childlike manner, he shared that he he knew he had an anger issue, and he was sorry, and he didn't like having an anger issue. He didn't like being like that. He was completely sincere, and Charlene and I talked about it, and we realized it didn't feel right in that moment to just say, okay, what consequence are we going to give him now? So we're just talking and thinking, and we both felt that way, and we're trying to figure out why. Well, why do we feel that way? And we just remembered, you know, the change we're after with our kids is is a heart-level change. We're after the heart. And it was starting to happen. We were reaching the heart now. He wasn't fighting or arguing over his sin. He was owning it. And you know what happens? He's now falling. He's not jumping. He's falling. And so grace has to radically come into the picture. And Charlene and I talked and realized that, and we didn't give him any type of consequence. He still had to go apologize to people. But the reason is because when it becomes falling and not jumping, I believe our children then need a helper. They don't need a corrector. They don't need a corrector. And I believe that because that's how the Holy Spirit parents us. The Holy Spirit brings correction into our lives. He brings discipline. And and the Holy Spirit is the convictor when we're being disciplined. He's the convictor of sin. But as soon as we recognize our sin and we repent, the Holy Spirit's role changes and he's now no longer the convictor, he becomes the helper. And I don't know about you, but when I've repented of a sin, the Lord has disciplined me and I've recognized it and I fall, I stumble while trying to walk up my repentance. I have never encountered a heavenly father who said, you blew it again, time to bring some more discipline into your life. I have never encountered that when I've been sincerely trying to walk out repentance, ever. Because when you've repented, you're grieved by your sin. And the God we encounter when we're in that state is not the God who says, you messed up again, more discipline. We encounter the God who says, get back up. Try again, get off the ground. Don't stay there, let's go, come on. So when you've reached your child's heart, when you've had that breakthrough, man, grace needs to come on strong. 
And I believe that our children need to know that we're on their side and we're there to help them walk this path. We're not just there to sit in the stands and point out every time they fail at it. We're willing to jump over the railings, get on the track, put our arm around them and help them run the race when they need it. Once you've broken through, you don't need to keep breaking them. Once you've broken through, you don't need to keep breaking them. So yes, be consistent, but don't forget the end goal. Don't forget the change that you're after. Don't miss the moment when conviction needs to turn into grace. Don't miss that. I want to address forms of discipline in a manner that will probably leave you unsatisfied because I'm not going to answer all the controversial questions everyone really wants answered. I'm just going to say this. Every child is different. Every child is different. And children respond differently to different forms of discipline. Charlene and I went through some phenomenal parental training courses, but there's a lot we do differently now because we've realized you cannot say you do this specific type of punishment for this specific type of offense every time and it works. Every kid is different. Remember the goal. The goal is the heart. If a form of discipline you're doing is not reaching their heart, you probably need to re-examine that. We have some of our kids, we just talk to them. And we, not in a manipulative way, we just begin to talk to them and explain what you're doing is going to produce this result. And they're like crying. When you get to that point, do you really think as a parent you need to go, now I need to give you a consequence? We're after the heart. We're after the heart. We're not looking to dish out jail time or prison time. We're after the heart, the same thing the Lord is after. Never forget that you're going after a heart change and never forget how high the stakes are. Don't elevate happiness over holiness. And always remember that holiness flows from the heart. The Bible says of people who, who act well but don't have holiness in the heart, he says you're like whitewashed walls. It looks great on the outside, but inside it's ugly. We're after the heart because we know if we get that, if we can get that to the Lord, then ultimately life is going to flow from our children. We know that. Don't get distracted by the pursuit of good behavior. Go after the heart. Go after the heart. The Lord wants your heart. The Lord wants your child's heart. For you to reflect on, I'd ask this, are you embracing the Lord's discipline in your life? Are you responding to him with humility when he corrects you? If you're married, if you've got kids, you have so many wonderful opportunities to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You will snip at your spouse. Holy Spirit will convict you. How, how are you doing with that? With those moments when the Holy Spirit says, you need to apologize. Do you do it or do you just harden your heart and say, no, no. Parenting your kids, you're going to have so many opportunities when the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Do you yield to him? You just stick in your ways. You'll even find as a parent, this is why I love the Holy Spirit. You can have a whole system laid out, take note of everything we talked about today. And one day you will have a moment where you swear your child needs discipline and the Holy Spirit will just say, not this time. Not this time. This time, grace. You got to be ready and willing to listen to the Holy Spirit in those moments. We need him so much in parenting. You can always, always trust that your heavenly father only corrects you out of love. Only for your good. 
We have that assurance, and we want to be those kind of parents for our kids as well. Let's go ahead and pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you so much that we never have to doubt your motivation in how you parent us. You're always good, and you're always right, Lord. I pray for all of us that we would just take a step back and once again confess and admit, Lord, you've never given us a reason to doubt you. You've always been faithful. You've always been good. You've always been kind. And the moments where we feel like we were dealt with harshly by you, Lord, you were pulling us back from death. You were pulling us back from the edge. You were pulling us back from dangers that we did not even know we were dabbling in because you love us and you're faithful. Father, we pray for our kids and for anyone who doesn't have kids, Lord, we pray for the parents in this room that you would release much, much grace to us, that at the moments of our greatest parental frustration, we would be reminded that we've done the same to you many times, and we've only found a gracious and good, loving Father. Help us to love our kids the way that you love us. Help us to do what is best, not what is easiest. Help us to elevate holiness above happiness. Help us to raise children who know how to sow good things in their lives that will produce life in the future. Help us to parent above all for your approval, not anyone else's, not anyone else's. Lord, we love you. We confess that you are good and you are faithful, God. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.